Hey everybody, welcome back to Law Socks Legal Loops. I'm your host, Titty Bang, and as per the usual, alongside me, I have the lovely Juliette Savvy. Today, we are bringing you a podcast in collaboration with Women Breaking Barriers. We will be speaking to the members from the Women Breaking Barriers Committee, and also Fiona Smith, a law lecturer at the University of Leeds, and an avid supporter of Women Breaking Barriers. As always, this podcast is recorded on Zoom due to the lockdown restrictions. We hope you're all keeping safe, sanitized, and lovely. And to begin, we'll be interviewing Imogen and Aisha, who are the, on the executive team of the Women Breaking Barriers Committee at Leeds University. So, welcome, Aisha and Imogen. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, so, I'm just going to begin with a few questions. Um, just some, you know, brief ones, easy ones, the ones you'd expect to kind of get from something like this. Um, so what is Women Breaking Barriers? What is their role in Leeds? And particularly, what is their role in the law school? Okay, I'll jump in for this one if that's all right, Aisha. Yeah, so, perfect. Uh, WBB Leeds is like a student-led initiative in the law school. Um, it was founded in 2015, I believe, I think, and it was networks across like the Northern Unis. Um, so yeah, in the law school, it's kind of student-led. So we're not a society per se, but we kind of just fit in with the law school. So Joan uh, Lowry yeah. has been supporting the initiative, I think since it was founded. Um, and we mainly aim to host events to empower and uplift um, female law students. So we connect them with role models. So we had Ruth Reed speak recently. Yeah. Um, we've had confidence workshops in the past um, and just to kind of create a space for female empowerment in the legal sphere. Um, Aisha, if you want to add to any of that? Yeah, I just want to add that I think a lot of people don't know that we're not actually associated with LUU, so we're not associated yeah. with the union. Um, we're funded by the law school. So yeah, we're an organization in the law school, but I think what's special about us is that um, anyone is welcome to come to our events because we know a lot of people will choose to do law later, even if they study like a history degree or an English degree. So um, we yeah. always encourage um, people from like diverse areas of subjects to come you know to our events and we've had that in the past so I think that's good. Is Women Breaking Barriers particularly focused on legal careers and legal um, role models or would, it, would you guys think about bringing into any type of female role models for everybody or for wide subjects? Um, I think we have quite like a broad focus so initially yeah. it was legal career focus but I think definitely in recent years we definitely tried to expand that because not obviously everyone who does law goes on to become a solicitor or barrister so yeah. whilst we like, have had panel talks and we had um, we'll have had two barristers in this term we've also had like female entrepreneurs um, women who work in the civil service and criminal justice industry um, women in business and um, we hope to have a female from who works in Westminster um, next yeah. time um, so it's not just mutually exclusive to law careers it's also tries to encompass criminal justice and general female empowerment in other industries mm. as well yes like very recently like our most recent event was with someone called Mary Jackson and she works at a mental health charity called Law Care. So while it's a mental health charity for lawyers, I feel like a lot of people can benefit from that event just because, mm -hmm. you know, mental health, mental health affects everyone. So um, even though our events may have people associated with legal professions, some, often what they're speaking about applies to people from a range of fields. Um, and that's something we've been trying to build. Um, so I've introduced you guys as Imogen and Aisha, and I said you guys are on the executive team of Women Breaking Barriers, but could you actually just explain each of your roles 
And why did you actually join Women Breaking Barriers? Why was it important for you to be a part of this whole organization? Hi, okay, so last year I actually applied as an undergraduate representative. So it was my first year. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing a flyer about Women Breaking Barriers on Minerva and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. So I applied and I really liked the questions on the application. It really got me thinking. And I remember, I think one of the questions was, if you had an event, what, what would it like, what would you do? So I remember when I came to Leeds, you know, Leeds has a very strong history of female yeah. empowerment with the suffragette movement, you know, yeah. they really helped women get the vote. So I was like, yeah, we should have a march. Um, and while this hasn't happened yet, my idea and something I really want to do is hopefully have someone like Lady Hale come and speak um, at the university and that we would do incredible. a female march. Yeah, so that was yeah. really my ambition. I was like, if I join an organization like this, I can actually bring in speakers that I want um, and, you know, yeah, collaborate with other people who are interested in similar ideas. So I was just really inspired mm -hmm. by the fact that I was studying in Leeds. So I wanted to be part um, of this initiative. And I'm really glad. So this year I'm secretary. Yeah. Um, it's really nice to have seen Women Breaking Barriers grow from when I was an undergrad to now a secretary. And I think my initial, what, what I wanted to do initially has come through. Like recently I introduced a speaker I really wanted. So you guys should keep an eye out for that. Our <laughs> next speaker is someone called Aksa Hussain and she has founded a human rights organization. So I think that's something, uh, yeah, really good. Yeah. Uh, and then Imogen? So um, I was saying, I just remember Aisha's application and reading it and about the march she wanted to do. And I was like, oh my God, we've got to have her. It looks yeah. great. Um, Has to be done. Yeah. Be, we need her. Um, so I've been fortunate enough to be with it, I think literally since I joined uni. So in like okay. my, my first term in the law school, the first, I think it was the second week I went along to one of the events and the week after they were recruiting for um, people to be undergraduate reps. So I was really fortunate enough to join from the beginning and just to add on to what Aisha said it's been so great to see it grow so I was yeah. first year rep so I'd kind of just um you know do like event announcements and kind of be you know li listening on meetings and then become an events coordinator in my second year so actually get more actively involved so I'd start planning events you know researching speakers pitching ideas and I think one of the ones I'm proudest of is doing the confidence workshop um but it was great because I remember joining uni and feeling so set like just just had no confidence and I think that's why I love being part of WBB just helping other women you know have their confidence because I think it's like Madam Markle said like we all all women have a voice but it's actually just yeah. empowering them to use it and everyone has a voice mm. uh, so that's again why it's great being president this year because it is really I'm really like proud of the work we do um and the committee and I think we will become really close this year as well and it's been hard adapting to online circumstances um, just trying to move all our events online and get all our speakers on there but it's been so yeah. great privilege to grow with the committee and yeah i'm just excited for the rest of this year yeah um and then could you could you share any of your vision or mission for the committee of this year either one of you is okay to share that because i'm sure you're both very familiar with what you guys want to do um i think our vision is I guess it's like multifaceted so we always have lots of yeah. different things and we you know we continue to stay on the aim of empowering uplifting as many women as we can but I think I've always been keen to get men involved in the conversation because yeah I, you know as much as it is a space for women you know you can't knock down barriers without men's support and yeah. you know we all need everyone to work on you know together on dismantling the patriarchy and things like that yeah. so I think definitely get men involved is a name that I've always been focused on because it's not you know, feminism isn't mutually exclusive to men and 
I think just continue to try and adapt things online as successfully as possible to get mm. maximum participation from first years to make sure they feel included and there's a space for them. Um, what about you, Aisha? Yeah, I definitely agree. We've been really trying to get more men on board. I think sometimes it's just about hesitation. Like they don't think they should be there. So I think it's not that they don't want to be. They just think that it's not their place to be there. But we really want to emphasize that, no, we really want you to be part of the conversation. Another thing we've really been pushing for is more involvement. I just want to stress, I really don't like this term, um, BAME group. I don't like the term because I don't think it really, you know, explains the different groups just and, yeah. I, and I belong from that group but I, it's kind of groups every minority into like yeah, one they group. Just shove yeah. every minority into one group but it's the term that yeah. we unfortunately use so yeah. we've been trying to get more BAME involvement and I think it's we it, it was something that we wanted but this year we didn't even have to try I think when we went we go on LinkedIn we look at people people's profiles there's just amazing BAME women so it's not like we deliberately have to be like oh she's from a BAME group let's have her we, <laughs> yeah you know, it hasn't been like that we found someone and I think the other, like the other day I think I was talking with someone we we're like oh it's just been a coincidence that we've got some really good BAME women from different groups so I think that's what we're yeah. trying, to, trying to show that they're not just you know token people who become barristers or solicitors they really deserve to be there and I think we really want to empower those voices yeah um so personally I actually do want to get involved with women breaking barriers I think it's an amazing initiative or so to ask how I would actually get involved to support you guys um, because you mentioned that one of your aims is to get uh, more men involved in the conversation. And I definitely want to be involved in the conversation. So how can I actually do that? Um, I guess in terms of just first steps that we have our social media handles, so WBB Leads and LinkedIn yeah. and Facebook. So it's always good to like follow those to see the kind of things we're getting up to. Like we have a giveaway going on at the minute of a few feminist books and a yoga event. Come to our events, come to our events, tell your mates to come to our events. Yeah get involved we hope to have next time that maybe more of a kind of active engagement from participants in our event um i'll let Aisha talk about that in a minute the event we're planning yeah. on because it's how on it's great but i think yeah just taking part in the events contributing you know potential ideas and on our pages and things like that it really is mm. a for everyone and it's really i think i do feel strongly that it is important to include men in the conversation for sure um mm. yeah i know what you mean by your question Tavang. i think it's that do you we, we've actually struggled with this. Like when we say, do we want men in the conversation? Does that mean we get male, speak, male speakers as panelists? Yeah. We've struggled with that question. And I think we came to the conclusion that not really, because for so many years, you know what I mean? We've had a lot of, you know, all these diversity yeah. events where it's just, it's not even a diverse panel. So I feel the same way about feminist mm. events. I feel like females should be the ones leading, but I don't necessarily think we need a male speaker. I think the first step is really just to listen. I agree, yeah. So if males just come to our events and just listen, you can actually learn a lot. For example, yesterday, I went to uh, this amazing event. It was, uh, they talked about male mental health and mm. it was men speaking. So you don't necessarily have to speak all the time. Sometimes you can just listen and it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people don't necessarily understand that as well, that being involved with it doesn't mean that you have to be at the forefront. You don't have to have the male speakers or anything. It is sometimes about being like, I want to get involved. So let me just sit back and listen to what's happening. Um, moving on, I want to say that uh, we did a survey on gender privilege. Um, and we asked whether people had actually heard of women breaking barriers. And 86.2% of people actually did. So I want to give you guys a big congratulations for them. Um, however, though, we then asked whether people had attended one of, the, uh, one of your events 
and only 33% of people actually did. Um, but to also rebut this, um, we asked for feedback on the events that people had attended and it was very positive and inspiring. Um, the Mary Jackson talk and the Ruth Reed um, talk received high appraisal and many people left feeling motivated um, after the feminist judgment event. Um, just to read you some of the comments, um, lovely work from lovely empowering people. Um, it was so nice to see a woman and hear her journey and perspective through criminal law. It just made me feel a bit happier and hopeful. And numerous other comments about how well-organized, informative and insightful all of these events were. Um, so what has been your most popular event? Just tying on to that. I think it's, it's difficult by what you mean popular in terms of like attendance, because obviously last year, yeah. I mean, this year we have Zoom talks, but then last year we've had things that we posted breakfasts and things like that. Mm. So you kind of streams of people coming and going, but I'm tempted to say Funky Avambola's event, Aisha. She was, I think her talk on climbing mountains um, yeah. really was really great. So I'm tempted to say that one actually. Yeah, I can actually answer the question of like, what was our most popular event with actually what you said about, was it like around 33% have attended our events? And yeah. Yeah. We've noticed that a lot of law school events seem to be focused on corporate law and we understand yeah. that people tend to prioritize that. So I think that's one reason that when it comes to events, people want to go to corporate events. We've really stressed that some some events are about building your skills. And of course, not everyone wants to go into corporate law, you know? Yeah. And it's about raising awareness. So I think it's one of those things where, for example, our feminist, I think in my opinion, our most popular event was our feminist judgment project, not in terms of attendance. It was quite a small workshop, but the fact mm. that it was actually picked up by the law school and it was actually meant if, if any second years would know this. I was actually was, about to mention that it was used in, um, I think it was our first seminar for law and society. I would say that was the most popular just because in, because of the impact it had, I think, I remember a lot of my friends actually uh, posting their poems on social media. Mm. Someone to do that, there's clearly, um, they were clearly inspired and people yeah. talked about the event even after. Um, so I think, yeah, for us, the focus isn't really on how many people attend, it's definitely on the impact. So I would just like to say to anyone mm. who does want to attend that we don't really have a focus on corporate law just because we think that there are certain other things that you should know. So of course, attend those, you know, those, there's numerous webinars on, you know, how to build your CV, how to get into that firm or chambers, but like, mm. it's important to also know these because these can help you in the future as well in a different yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so Women Breaking Barriers also has a very wide network. Um, and I wanted to mention that I see you guys involved in the University of Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, Durham, Northumbria and many, many other North, uh, North of England universities. Um, so is there any collaboration with any of the other university uh, committees or is it primarily just you guys are forwarding the whole initiative as one? Um, I think we've, we kind of, we do aim to forward the initiative as one that we have focused internally this year, just because it is a bit more of an isolating year with our first year students and we tried to focus a bit more on leads, but we are planning a network event next term to kind of bring together the key uni, so probably with Liverpool and Northumbria. Um, so that I would say there's not as much collaboration as there used to be, but we definitely still speak 
with the other um, WBB initiatives at the unis and we are aiming to host a network event with a few of them um, but yeah I think that's definitely an aim we've also been thinking of is increasing it in other universities but understandably this year it's been a bit more difficult um, to reach out to them but I think we are aiming to do another network event yeah. And I think another issue has been a lot of chapters have unfortunately closed down in other universities. I think one reason why our chapter has stayed open is because of the generous funding that we actually get from the law school. So I think it just shows that if you really want to be an ally or help an initiative, you actually have to put in some money. Um, yeah. So that's one reason why Women Breaking Barriers in Leeds is really strong. It is unfortunately had to close down in other universities. So yeah. Law School is so supportive of the work we do, like Joan Lowry, who's head of the Law School at the minute, has been amazing every step of the way, and Fiona, mm. who you're going to speak to as well. Um, yeah. So I think we couldn't do what we do without the great support from everyone in the Law School. Um, so then, in that, is the, is the grand plan to be involved in every university in the country, every university in the world, every organisation in the world? What's the, what's the big picture um, with Women Breaking Barriers? I think why stop at Leeds you know like I think yeah that we do focus internally at Leeds but I definitely think it would be an amazing aspiration to have it across all unis because I speaking from my experience I found it invaluable in my first year just because I wasn't you know I wasn't super sporty I didn't I came to uni not knowing anyone mm. like my halls were quite isolated so it was a great way for me to get to know people in the year above which in first mm. year was really important to me and I got to know people in you know the year below as well like Aisha and stuff so you just get to yeah. learn, know different people and stuff and it's just a, like a fun organization to get involved with but I think yeah why stop at Leeds I think every uni across the country needs a WBB for sure. Mm. Well, I feel conflicted about this actually it would be nice to have a chapter in every university but I feel like when an organization really expands it becomes very you know there's less accountability it it's yeah less it's quite decentralized yeah it's difficult for our speakers to be candid so i hope it i hope that if it does expand we're still able to be as we are in leeds where speakers yeah. can be candidly about their experiences and people can open up um in small spaces so, yeah yeah i think that's the thing is that we are a small space in terms of it is quite like home not homely but yeah. you know what i mean in leeds and we can have like the committee know each other really well we keep yeah. connections with our speakers they come back to speak with us so i'm really proud of the, the kind of basis that we have in Leeds. So as you say, you wouldn't want it to get kind of too corporate in a way if it was a bit, and obviously you would need someone to oversee that. You know, we have thought about, there was talk of having like a network overseer, but obviously that requires funding and things like that. So there's a lot of logistical difficulties with that. Yeah. Um, so then what future events are you guys planning? Because I mentioned earlier that I obviously want to get involved and I know a lot of people after this podcast are going to want to be involved with you guys. Um, so what future events are you planning for this year, next year? Um, so just in terms of our talk this time and then if Aisha wants to touch on next time a little bit. Um, so this time we had a yoga one this week as part of our Wellness November series. Um, we also have AXA Hussein speaking at the end of the month, who's a people barrister. Again, that's kind of Aisha's event that she's leading. So that'll be our events kind of it for this term because obviously everyone's waking up early in December. But I'd say yeah. definitely keep your eyes peeled for next term with regards to International Women's Day, which is 8th March. Um, and we'll have a lot of speakers then. Yeah, I can expand on the OXA event. So um, I think it was during the summer of lockdown where I started volunteering for this organization called Human Rights Pulse. And it lets me publish articles 
on human rights that I find interesting. So I've been able to talk about a lot of areas that are under, well, not really talked about in the media, such as, you know, issues in the Middle East, like certain human rights issues in the Middle East and other countries uh, and, uh, and countries where, um, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily see mainstream media talking about them. So yeah. that's been good. So she's the one who co-founded this amazing platform. So we've invited her to speak and she's also a people barrister. So we're hoping to get, um, people involved you know who's, who are interested in human rights potentially a career at the bar and even if you know those things don't interest you i think she's just a really fun person so it'd be great to come along and see you know what how you can actually still be in the legal profession but also do things you love and are passionate or about on the side so we also asked whether leeds promotes gender equality enough on campus and 76 percent said yes but many people commented on the need for safety at night, as well as the diversity of women on campus in sports, subjects, and other wider areas. Um, so do you see, from your perspective, do you see any room for improvement around gender-based conversation and promotion within Leeds? And if so, what are some of the things you suggest could be helpful? Um. I definitely think there's always room for improvement. You know, I don't think feminism and gender equality and empowerment is like a tick box thing. So like, oh, mm. we've had this amount, we've had this amount. You know, the, the law has been traditionally kind of males and white males for years. Yeah. Obviously it's white women as well. So I think we definitely need way, way, way more representation. That's really important. And I think there's only, I think there's only something like 11 black um uh, lecturers, professors in the UK or something I read the other day. I might be wrong mm. on that, but I was just shocked when I read that. So I think until we just get way more representation, um, I think we have a long way to go. But in terms of Leeds specifically, I would agree that it does support gender equality. The law school is, you know, it is quite diverse, but again, there's always room for more improvement. Um, yeah. And I think definitely the things about safety at night is important. I would say um, safety and things like I don't know specific kind of initiatives that could take place, but I think again, opening conversations up is always mm. important and listening to women's voices again. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, so I feel like the university doesn't do this because they don't want to scare people, but I don't think, so you know how you'll see on social media, there'll be loads of reports of, you know, leads not being safe at night. I'm sure a yeah. lot of you would have seen the recent post that came, you know, in Headingley and all these places. Yeah. And the issue is, I don't really see emails in my inbox about these. Obviously, if it's an individual, we understand they wouldn't want to be identified and stuff. But I feel like if there are widespread, widespread reports, as students, we deserve to know what's going on. I think um, it's also on the university to kind of inform us of what is happening. And it speaks to what Imogen was saying, opening that conversation um, to move forward. Because these are important issues that people need to know about. And... Yeah. As a student, you'd surely want to know about that for your own safety. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, because yeah. by not saying it, it kind of perpetrates a stereotype that, oh, women should just be more safe at night or they yeah. shouldn't be alone at night, you know. They shouldn't be going to Headingley. They shouldn't be yeah, going they shouldn't to this be alleyway going to, by themselves. Yeah, to restrict, you know, an entire area for yeah. our majority, you know, in terms yeah. of population. So, yeah, I think there definitely needs to be more um, transparency. Mm. And I think when it's like it is university students as well, so it's like the uni should have an obligation to yeah. do more and be proactive in that. Like mm. 
it's, it gets dark so early now so you know yeah. going out for like like I run going out for a run past like five o'clock is just I can't do it I won't yeah. do it being like the recent headlining attacks and that and it actually affects you know how you live your life yeah I know a lot of students who you know are international and have come here and not knowing about these kind of things and the safety of leads and things like mm. that it's really important to definitely raise more awareness yeah, I think I'd like to make another point, actually. So uh, Women Breaking yeah, Barriers actually had, we raised money for period poverty during our International Women's Day breakfast last year. I think that's something that needs to be more emphasized on campus. So for example, I remember when lockdown first happened, a lot of a lot of my male friends were complaining on how they had to pay for face masks, you know, like, oh, this isn't our fault the pandemic happened. Why do we have to pay for face masks? <laughs> And I think the response to that is, I hope you recognize that for centuries, women have been having to pay for sanitary products or, you know, at one point there was, yeah. yeah, they were pink tags. So the fact that there's, ta you know. Um, and then you mentioned you're working with some people um, with various initiatives that you guys are putting forward. Um, so could you give some of the organizations that you are um, working with or some of the initiatives that you are promoting, um, any of that stuff? Um, so I guess specific speakers we aren't yet able to reveal because it's still in the yeah. early days of um, organising. But one of the speakers that we have been liaising with um, is, works for Women in Westminster, which is a parliamentary female-led group kind of off the back of the sexual assault um, allegations yeah. and claims that were made previously this year. So we've been looking towards um, working with that next term. We've also been working with... Um, LUU yoga so we have a yoga sock event yeah today, which is next with tomorrow sorry so we hope to have that again next term um Aisha? yeah so when we say collaborate we don't we tend to give the organization that you know we're probably co-hosting something with like discretion on what they want to do and we like to keep our discretion just because we're not going to agree with everything they, everything they do and we like we, we like the fact that we have a space where we can be really open about if we don't agree with something so for example the next as i mentioned our next event it's with um Aksa Hussein, who's co-founder of Human Rights Pulse. So hopefully that will encourage people to go on the website, look at human rights events. Uh, previously, mm. we've had barristers, uh, for example, um, Cake and Council, Ruth Reed. You should really check out Cake and Council. It's a really nice space, uh, again, for women, women of color as well, to you know, uh, mm. get an insight into the legal profession. Um, and then, yeah, as I mentioned previously, Law Care is a mental health charity. So again, what we do is we direct people to these um, initiatives but we like our own space just because we like, you know, we obviously we're not going to agree with every organization. So I think, yeah, it's important to give everyone their own space. Yeah, mm. definitely. And that we do try to do like, I think we've definitely tried to just do like a diverse range of events as well. And I think we'll further that next time. Now we've adapted successfully online. So we're hoping to have like a panel event on Zoom, um, potentially a debating event, um, a networking event, more kind of yoga sessions. So people can yeah. look through to join. Um, however you choose to identify it as a space you know for everyone to get involved in and listen for inclusivity as well yeah definitely yeah. and I think intersectional feminism as well it's yeah really important to what we do um so and you don't always have to you know contribute necessarily you can sit there with your camera off and your mic off and listen to <laughs> and go away and feel great and buzzing that you know you can yeah. do it and this is what you know being a lawyer actually looks like it's not mm. what you always see of old white male partners in a firm apparently yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'd say we are, we'll have loads of exciting events next term. And just the best way to keep up to date is on our Instagram and a LinkedIn, which has been a great tool this year yeah. as well.
Yeah, we're actually really excited about the debate event because I think something that really stayed with me was during last year, our, con our confidence workshop, some women said that actually, it, so it was just women in that workshop. And we noticed a lot of them were actually contributing and speaking out. So we're like, you know, what happens to you in seminars? And they were basically saying <laughs> that we don't like speaking because there are men there. So we need to see mm. why this is an issue. Like, why do people hesitate to speak when, you know, when men, when are, men are there? It must be a, so it's obviously a socially, you know, it's a so social issue. It's not biologically yeah. built into us. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we're really excited for a debate. We really want to encourage women to actually like, because obviously nowadays there are organizations that are willing to give people space, but you need to actually take that space. So yeah. I think that's what the debate encourages people to do. Yeah, I think it's just yeah. the issue of like just empowering women, you know, like we have the capabilities, we are more than capable, we have the skills, the same as men, but it's actually just feeling like you can use it and you know, you are- And giving like, the platform for you to use yeah. it as well. Yeah. I mean, you spoke about Meghan Markle's quote there, but it is about like, they have the voice, they just need the platform to express themselves and to, yeah. And you have that boost, so whether that be through seeing a role model who actually looks like you and identifies yeah. you and goes what you want to go into, or whether that's having a workshop kind of on focused on confidence or a talk focused on mental health and dealing with those issues. I think there's a wide, we do seek to kind of empower and uplift women in a wide range of ways. It's not just a one yeah. approach we take. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually a really nice quote that summarizes this. It's if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring in a folding chair. And that was the first <laughs> yeah. that was the first African American woman in Congress. So yeah. Shirley just I hope I said her name uh, Shirley Chisholm. I hope I said that right. But that's what she said. And I it's a really nice quote because it's true, you know, sometimes you won't mm. get a space, so you have to create your own space. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much, guys, for joining us for this podcast. Um, you guys have been absolutely wonderful guests. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and I know all of the listeners will as well. Um, I would just like to say, please, guys, um, follow them on LinkedIn. Um, hit them up on Instagram as well. Get involved in the events. It's an amazing initiative that everybody needs to get involved with. It's important that everybody gets involved with. So thank you very much from Legal Loops. And... Um, yeah, thank you so much for being part of this process. Our next guest, by way of brief introduction, is a professor of economic law in our law school. Her expertise lie in international trade under the World Trade Organization, regional trade agreements, Brexit and trade, international agricultural trade, and agriculture regulation in both the UK and EU. She's a visiting professor at several law schools in the USA, including the University of Minnesota, the University of Michigan, and Boston College Law School. She has numerous publications on various subjects within the agricultural trade sector and has extensive work on Brexit, reigning from being interviewed on Radio 4 Today and being a special advisor to the House of Lords. Wow. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to need a little breather after that one. That was a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. Um, welcome, Professor Fiona Smith. Oh, thanks. It's, it's great to be with you. Um, I'm delighted to be asked to do this. Uh, when you read all that out, I just beginning to think, wow, that, that's you. Yeah. Where did that's I get you. my <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, So this is, this is obviously the, the stock standard first Google search type information that comes up about you. But I would really like to, to get a bit behind and be a bit more personal. So I guess my first question has to be, could you explain a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are now? Gosh, um, yeah, it's, it's been, been a, a, a long time now. It's been a journey. So I, I've been 
yeah I've been an academic for over 20 years and I, I don't know how that happened um <laughs> so how it's been so long um but I I I think I was 10 um and I announced to my mom in our in our very very tiny uh, kitchen that I wanted to do law um and she said, well, that's really strange because um, nobody in the family does law. So, so why do you want so to do why? that? And I was like, well, <laughs> yeah. well, it looks really, really interesting and nobody else is doing it. So this, this is going to be my thing. Mm. And, um, you know, it, so from there, so from that announcement, I wanted to do law. I didn't understand even what that really meant. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, so over time, um, I... I sort of focused on getting into university, did a standard undergrad degree, yeah, and yeah. then went into legal practice and um, was incredibly bored by it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know it, it, I wasn't in one of the major big firms. I was in a very small firm. Mm. And, and what I found is there was a real, for me, there was a real difference between um, the law I'd learned while I was at university and, and how it works in practice. Yeah, and, that, and mm. I really missed all the reading, all the engagement with the tricky staff, the social questions, because they're, they're not as important in the practice that I was doing at the time. Yeah. So uh, I had some health issues. So I had an opportunity to sort of step back and say, well, okay, um, what do I really want to do? And I thought, well, I have no idea really. So I signed up for a master's degree because I thought it looked Oof. interesting. And, <laughs> um, you know, it was in European and international trade. And I yeah. thought that sounded quite cool. Um, so I did that. And then I realized how much I really loved reading and engaging with the issues, chatting to my fellow students, the academics. And um, at the end of the degree, um, there was a part-time job available in the school where I was. And I thought, well, that looks interesting. I'll apply for that. Mm. And I completely failed to get shortlisted. So this is not a this is not a story about meteoric rise. This is a story yeah. of failure. Slow, steady <laughs> yeah. type of build yeah. Up so this is like a complete like you know my path was not sort of preordained in any glorious yeah. way. So at the end of um, my complete failure to get shortlisted, um, <laughs> I um, I looked around and I thought, well, I don't want to go back into legal practice. That's definitely not for me. Um, mm. But look, I can do a, a PhD because that's like more of the same, like except mm. even more work. <laughs> um, so right, uh, reading. So I signed up for that, and um, I chose agriculture to study agricultural trade because. Um, when I did my master's degree, I was one of the first students to be taught uh, the general agreement on tariffs and trade, which is also called the GATT. And this is like the precursor to the World Trade Organization, which we hear yeah. so much about now in Brexit yeah. talks and things like that. It's like so cool. Nobody had Seems heard of it important. at all yeah. then. And it didn't even exist when I started studying. And I thought, well, this is, this is amazing um, because no, I didn't realize all this trade stuff went on. You know, and I just go into the yeah. shops, the food's there, and you know, that, that was that really. Buy a couple um, of things and then get out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I realized is not only was all this cool stuff there, um, there weren't any rules governing agriculture. So mm. all this stuff was happening with no rules. I was like, well, why is that? What's this about agriculture? That's really interesting. So I signed up to do the PhD. And in the meantime, the person who did get shortlisted for the job dropped out. And it turned out yeah. I was the first reserve, so they put me on the interview panel and I got <laughs> the job. 
And so yeah. I ended up doing something completely crazy, which I don't recommend, which is doing my PhD at the same time as my first job. This is not good. Oh um, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, the two oh ran alongside each other in a crazy sort of way for, um, because then I had to go part time on the PhD. So for about six years, I had to, <laughs> I had to do both. Oh. And, oh, and then wow. I just, yeah, I just followed the, followed my life. So my life mm. moved. So my life moved from one un university town to another and I was lucky to get a job. And I ended up in London. Oh gosh, mm. 2014. Um, and no, 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 longer than that. 20, 2005. <laughs> um, wow. And uh, yeah, so I ended up in London and all of a sudden I thought, yeah, you know what? This could be like a, like a career thing. So it took me about 10 years to get to that point where yeah. I thought, actually, I could, I, could, I could make a career out of this. And I mean, 2016 yeah. happened and wham, gone from <laughs> minor obscure to seriously mainstream. Yeah, um, yeah the, the UK had no, well, very few trade people. All the specialists were in Brussels and mm. uh, they needed trade people. And they needed agricultural trade people because there are yeah. still rules on agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. A few yeah. more than we used to have under the WTO, but it's still not very many and it's still tricky. And um, so all of a sudden, there I am, wham, mainstream. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so uh, I do not have um, a planned career. Type of a journey, yeah. No. So um, <laughs> you actually mentioned the, there was a, a point where you said you realize an, an absence of acknowledgement of the agricultural trade sector. So it was, is that what motivated you to actually specialize in the field of agricultural trade or was it something else? Maybe just, again, it was an epiphany of, hey, this sounds cool, so let me just go into that. No, no, it was, it was definitely the absence of rules, but also, um, you know, I, I just love food. I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> I really love chocolate. I mean, really. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm like, this is, and, and what had happened around this, so when I was doing my master's degree, I, um, I did um, my dissertation in uh, EU competition law. Yeah. And what was happening around the time when I was studying for my master's degree is the UK was going through a system of privatization of a lot of the, yes. of a lot of the large companies sort of under the Margaret Thatcher era, because I'm that old. And um, one of the things that they privatized was uh, the milk marketing board, which sounds incredibly awesome. Yeah. Um, so so <laughs> what, it, what it was um, is farmers used to sell all their milk to this milk marketing board and then the milk marketing board would negotiate all the prices on behalf of the farmers with the big supermarkets and the big processes so the farmers always had quite a good price for the milk but yeah. what i what i realized is is when the milk marketing board was privatized it was turned into one of these large buying groups um and uh, which then became Arla dairies along the line um yeah. and what was really interesting about that was there was no regulator. They just created this massive monopoly. It'd be like creating Google overnight. You're just like, there you go, <laughs> have all our data, do all the searches, off you go. No regulator, nothing. And mm. I was like, why did they do that? That's really weird. So yeah, I, I mean, so I was driven but by different things, by this curiosity. Mm. Um, you know, why, why when we all need to eat, when we need to preserve the environment around us, why wouldn't you want to have rules there? So, because obviously I'm a lawyer, that's the question I ask. Yeah. Um, and I realized that that's because there were an awful lot of other people in the field that like economists and, and the, you know, soil scientists and people like that. And they weren't necessarily, some of them weren't thinking about these questions, but they weren't the priority questions.
there you go. That's the short <laughs> version of my 20 odd years in academic life. Yeah. Um, so we also conducted a survey um, on gender-based discrimination. Um, and in the survey that we carried out, it's actually due to note that over 80% of the participants um, were female. Um, and 64% of the participants felt they couldn't participate in something they wanted to because of their gender. So did you ever see your gender as a barrier to achieving your goals or even entering the agricultural trade field, asking those important questions of why is this not regulated? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's a sad indictment on our society, isn't it, that your mm. survey now is revealing those figures. Yeah. When my generation and the generation of women before me um, were really supposed to be breaking that glass ceiling, breaking the barriers yeah. down. And I, I'm, I'm really sad to hear that, um, you know, the people that you've asked to feel that way. That makes me very yeah. sad. Um, what I noticed as I was um, going through, I was, I was thinking about this long and hard actually when you asked me this question. Um, I was never subject to any discrimination. Yeah. Um, but what, what I did find along the way is women um, generally, not all women, obviously, not all men, obviously, um, women tend to operate within the professional environment in a different way. So yeah. they won't always be the first to speak. They won't always be the, the first to air their opinions or maybe contradict somebody else um, mm. of whatever gender. Um, they tend to be much more interactive, um, mm. work in teams as a gen. I mean, this is a huge generalization. And, and if, and if you enter an environment like trade, so when I entered trade law, there was an awful lot of testosterone around in, yeah. in the environment was very sort of um, aggressive in, in that way um, yeah. from, and so it was very difficult to bring the sort of softer skills forward. Um, yeah. And, and I ended up learning to be quite robust. So, you know, standing <laughs> up in a room and, and somebody at the back, unfortunately, usually male um, would stand up and say, well, it's all very well for you to say that, but you know you're wrong, don't you? And, and in a room full of 40, 50 people, that's a bit crushing, to say the least. It's quite it a personal attack as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit like gladiatorial combat, really. And yeah. uh, that, was, that was hard. Uh, happens mm. less so now. People are a lot more respectful, I've noticed, of, of both, both genders. Um, mm. so that was one thing I noticed. The other thing I noticed... Um, and I think this is an issue for, for men and women, actually, but, but I noticed it from my own perspective, is that I always, um, I, ju I just love shopping. I mean, I do. I mean, what can I say? I just love to shop for clothes. Yeah. And <laughs> so, so I love to shop for clothes and I always let night to, to um, so looking, looking good and, and being fashionable is really important to me. And, yeah. But what I, what I found really early on in my career is this, this was a thing for some people. So there was a certain look for an academic. You had to look yeah. a certain way and be a certain way. And so for, I would come along in whatever suit I've got on or, and, and they were like, oh, look at you. Oh, and it became, a, it, and it, for mm. some people it became a distraction. And yeah. so I spent quite a lot of time defending who I was in a yeah. way that I didn't see happening with, with the guys. Um, yeah. Whether I didn't get on as well 
because of it or because of my gender i can't say because i don't have evidence of that but yeah yeah. there were these subtle type of um, things that were in the background yeah and that that can be quite hard to deal with particularly um particularly when i was younger it was much more of an issue coming in that so the transition from being a student to being a professional Mm -hmm woman so trying to find out what your identity is and then being that person in a professional life because you do have to change but you don't want to change so much that you end up as some sort of clone of everybody else (laughs) (laughs) so you know it's a a question so that that can be quite difficult to navigate um Mm. and i i would say that's probably the same for for guys as, as as well as women and um but yeah but i felt it much more as a woman when i was starting now i'm like now i'm like whatever but it's it's easier for me now because i've got all the other stuff like yeah get over yeah but when you're starting and you don't have that um you don't have all the rest of it behind you you know all that stuff you read out um it is it is hard um and i i do think for women um you need to be so much better Mm. because you are you can be set up to fail yeah um there is that sort of tokenism that can happen sometimes like oh look i'm the only woman on the committee again um so you know that you can be that the gender balanced person yeah and then you you feel like you've got more to prove so yeah yeah. so so actually i'm speaking about all that stuff I said in the beginning. Um, <laughs> um, you were actually a specialist advisor for Brexit um, for, um, to the House of Lords. Um, yeah. So what exactly does that mean? What does it entail? What did you actually do? So I, had to, I was um, specialist advisor to the House of Lords subcommittee on um, environment and rural trade, I think. I'll just uh, I'll probably have to double check the title of the committee. <laughs> so, um, but they... Um, on, on an, a specific inquiry on um, Brexit and agriculture. So, so, the, so the, the House of Lords Committee was um, made up of these amazing, amazing learned um, individuals that were looking into this inquiry. And uh, the, the particular members of the committee at the time had all had experience in agriculture or aspects of trade and led inquiries in their own rights and very, very learned knowledgeable people on that committee at the time and what they needed was a specialist um, to come along and guide the um, the sort of scope of the inquiry so what were the important yeah. questions to ask what were the important topics to hit um, who they should call in as witnesses because these inquiries have like an um, a call for evidence that goes out yeah. first and a sort of series of questions they would like people to answer and then they hold a series of hearings oral hearings and then they have um then they collect it all together and write a report the report goes to um is the report gets um presented in the house of lords to the open house for debate and then it goes down to the house of commons and the the minister in this case the the secretary of state for environment and food and rural affairs um for comments and then it gets to be, yeah. and that's sort of the progress of it. So my job was just to advise them on on the specialist stuff, the technical stuff. What does it mean? Which bits mm. are important, which bits are not? Who they should call as witnesses? Who they shouldn't? Who should do written evidence? Who should do oral evidence? What topics we should cover? Um, and then to read and comment on the draft report. 
so I had to sit in all the oral hearings. So I'm on TV, yay. Uh, my mum was really proud. Um, so I'm there I am on a Parliament TV on the where the little committee is. And yeah. there's a clerk to the committee who's the main administrator. And I sat next to her. And my job was to take notes through the through the oral hearings. And then if I thought a question needed to be asked, I would pass her the question. She would pass it to the chairman of the committee. It may or may not get asked. Um, and then afterwards, I was like, the committee's own private Google. So like, oh, what's that mean? Um, you know, what, what does this mean? And they said that, could I ask you about this? And so, yeah, it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It was such an honor. Um, and then to, to add on to this as well, we understand that you spoke in parliament in April as well. Madam, this list is just going on and on. I don't even think I have enough on my phone to like, actually write all of this down. So what were you discussing in parliament? And oh, yeah, what were you doing? So, um, so I was being an expert witness, right? So, um, as I said, a lot of this, so a lot of this taken off since 2016 and the, the referendum yeah. uh, on the UK's continued membership of the EU. Um, and so I, um, so I'm specialist in international agricultural trade, which is basically crops and livestock moving across borders. That's basically what it is. And, um, but I'm really interested in um, the regulation of that, like I said. So trade is, is about the regulation between states of how that movement can happen. So that's trade law. But in yeah. actual fact, countries don't trade, companies trade. So, yeah. but companies trade in really complex global supply chains, really complicated how they do it. Um, and so one of the things that um, I become more interested in is how does trade law between states fit on top of corporate behavior? So one of the things, so all to say, I was asked by the International Trade Committee, this is the House of Commons International Trade Committee, to give evidence on the impacts of COVID-19 on um, international agricultural trade through supply chains. So that's what I was doing in April. Um, so answering the question, so basically being one of those witnesses to yeah. a committee inquiry on COVID-19 and trade. So that's what I did in April. Um, then July, uh, I can't remember, I told you this actually. In July, I gave evidence to the UK Trade and Agriculture Commission, which is a statutory body that's just been set up by the government to check on food standards in the UK. You know, yeah. what food standards should we have? Should we let in chlorine wash chicken or not? <laughs> and um, so the, the Trade and Agriculture Commission would take, again, taking evidence. And I was looking at um, really things about um, consumer welfare. So how would trade law affect labeling of products, you know, made in Britain, yeah. um, non-chlorinated chicken. That's if you have that on a label, organic, you know, how mm. does trade law regulate that? So I was giving evidence to that committee. So I think that's been it this year. I've had a bit of a spate of expert witness things, just looking down the list. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, I'm also looking yeah. online as well. I mean, this isn't the first time you're an expert witness. I mean, you're the expert witness in the um, Welsh National Assembly for External Affairs and Additional Legislation Committee. You're an expert witness for the House of Commons and International Trade Committee. I mean, they really like you, it seems. So, like, <laughs> yeah, you be one of the cooler uh, expert witnesses. <laughs> Um, so are there any future plans for you to speak in Parliament or? Um, not yet. <laughs> so it tends to be a bit sort of like, oh, by the way, we're having an inquiry. Can you come next week? <laughs> the timeline's much shorter. I mean, I, I've been really honoured to be asked as much as I have, to be honest. I mean, I'm very aware that there are many other people who who do 
this work and to be asked is a is a real honor um so i don't have any plans maybe the maybe parliament have plans for me who knows um i don't know um one thing i, I still have not solved the problem that i started with you know why aren't there any any rules that work to govern yeah. agriculture so one day I, that's my ambition is to solve that problem so they definitely do seem like they like you. I mean, you said not this year, but I think in a couple of years time, we'll be talking to you again and maybe saying, oh, expert witness and this, expert witness and that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it is, I, I think a lot of it started, I mean, I, I started with reviews that weren't public in 2014. Um, so when the government was actually, well, the government of the time, the coalition government at the time was starting to look at the UK's ongoing relationship with the EU, that was happening behind the wire before 2016. So I think one of the things is once parliaments, are, the various committees are aware of your expertise, that sort of snowballs, yeah. um, you know, so I'm very lucky that I've had the chance to do it. Um, yeah. And a lot of it is luck. You know, I I, uh, I just want to get that across that some people have these amazing career trajectories, but I really didn't. Yeah, so I, I say yes to a lot of things, uh, which is probably you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing, which is which is wrong. Um, so, in in speaking about the talk um, from Parliament, were most of the political representatives the same gender as you? Um, so, in light of that, did you feel underrepresented? Because just to give you some context, in our survey, 82.8% .8 of people said that most political representatives weren't of the same gender. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one because it, it very much depends on the committee. So yeah. um, because of the kind of um, work that I do, which is trade, so trade, economics, that's kind of stuff. Um, what I've found is there are women on the committees but not necessarily um when i'm presenting my work so it just so happened that the membership of the international trade committee when i gave evidence this time um there weren't any women on that particular hearing even though there is a woman on the committee but the, the previous time that i gave evidence to the same committee which was 2016 um, that it was quite, there were m many more women. Um, I found generally in trade that there aren't as many women as men. Um, it isn't, um, it isn't something that's very balanced. That's changing and changing quite rapidly. Um, I tend not to think in terms of being underrepresented. Um, and I don't think in terms of being a pioneer. I'm thinking in terms of, you know, how can I give my best performance today? Yeah. So how can I, to use a cliche, be the best that I can be right today? <laughs> yeah. um, and then if I have an opportunity to um, bring people on um, to clear a path behind me, so to allow more women or basically anybody. Blazing really, the trail. Yeah. yeah, so what can I do to open the door for others? Um, because it, it, as, you, as you become more senior in your role, I think there's, it can become very threatening because people do come up from behind you and it can be like, oh, 
um, you know, I'm, not, I'm going to be irrelevant. And, and, <laughs> and so there, there can be some people, <clears throat> men and women, can pull the ladder up behind them. Yeah. So, so, so to answer your question, it's a bit mixed, mostly guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I see it as an opportunity to say, well, I'm here now. You know, I, I'm here now and, and I'm, a, I'm a woman here now. And there will be many more women who I can recommend. If I can't do something, I will recommend a whole series of people that are coming up rather than people that yeah. are already there you know yeah. way through um so this is this may be like quite a hard question actually because i mean considering your introduction i'm sure there's so much you can actually draw <laughs> from in your life um yeah. what would you consider your greatest achievement to date oh my goodness me greatest achievement to date do you know yeah i i, I when you asked me that question when you emailed me i thought my goodness greatest achievement to date what would that be? Um, and you know, I think I'm going to have to say um, becoming a professor for the first time, um, which was back in 2014. Um, and the reason is, is because my family was so excited by this because we'd yeah. never had a professor in the family before. Um, and so my, I've got this very, very large um, extended family and they think this is really good and they speak to people in the like their local communities about the the professor their their niece that's the professor or my parents are really excited and and it, it's it's a it's a, something that makes my family really proud yeah and because they're not really sure what i do not really <laughs> <laughs> is the sort of general feeling but yeah so it's something that's given so it gives i mean it was a huge obviously it's a it's a pinnacle of an academic's career to become a professor but it, it's something that you can really share yeah. um, and that's what made it so important um so how are you actually involved with women breaking barriers like what is your role what is your position oh gosh um so um I was asked to to chair one of the the sessions uh last academic year um so um there was a, we had a, a wonderful speaker who was talking about her own career path and um yeah um somebody couldn't make it so i stepped in and yeah it, it was wonderful um and then for fortunately for me well fortunately for me unfortunately for the speaker but fortunately for me uh, the speaker couldn't stay for dinner so i got to to um to take the women breaking barriers team out for dinner at oh, university well. house which is incredibly very nice meal and it was so <laughs> because I got an opportunity to to get to know people on the committee and that was yeah. wonderful because because i have um now because of where i am in my career i i don't i don't do a lot of, of teaching in the school because i have university leadership roles so i'm developing yeah. sort of interdisciplinary research across the university on uh agricultural and trade and supply chains so it was such a wonderful opportunity to reconnect with um the women breaking barriers team so that was that was great and yeah i've sort of kept in touch ever since follow on big follower on twitter um so yeah, yeah. um and and it's to me it's a really important initiative because it comes from from the it comes from the students 
So this is something they want to do. This is questions they have. It's issues that they see. And to me, that's much more important than me standing there and going, you know what, this is what happens to me in my career back in the 80s, you know. Yeah. Because let's be honest, you're having a 1980s revival at the minute, aren't you? I mean, for goodness yeah. sake, in the music, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> in terms of career, so, so that's what's really important to me about it because um, it is, these are questions that they want to know as women coming into a professional career, whether that's legal professional, something completely different. So, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Been, it's been a real privilege to be involved. Or even on yeah. the sidelines. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so what is one piece of advice you would have given your younger self back when you were studying, back when you were starting your career? Any, any type of stage where you were in your younger self? Um, be nice to yourself. Be okay. kind. Yeah, be kind. Um, you know, if something doesn't go well, you know, you fail a piece of work. Or you, you know, you, you're rotten to your mother or father or <laughs> whatever. And, and you think, oh, you know, I'm, that really wasn't a nice thing to do. Fine. Now I'm a really horrible person and I, I'm just a failure and I'm just terrible. I'm just awful. And, and really, what am I doing? That's the bit not to do. You know, don't, yeah. don't destroy yourself over something you perceive as a failure. Um, you know, because actually, um, you would not give that advice to your friend. You know, if your friend's not passed a piece of work, they've, they've got a, I don't know, a, a 40 rather than a 55 or something on an essay. You wouldn't say, do you know what? The reason you did that is because you're a complete failure. Oh, he just mm. wouldn't do that. Well, I know you wouldn't yeah. do that. <laughs> so why are you doing it to yourself? So that's the, the best the best piece of advice I would give myself is be kind, you know, ease up. Yeah. Ease up yourself. Mm, perfect. Yeah. Um and then our, our final question for the interview actually. Um so you've done again so much in your career. Um is there anything left to actually tick off the bucket list? <laughs> tick off the bucket list. Oh gosh. Um I'd like to write another book. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. Uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure the head of school would like it if I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah, I'd like to write another book. Um, you know, maybe I, I'm, I'm working, I guess, such a privileged career. It's such a privileged life. I'm being really lucky. Mm-hmm. I'm working with a specialist in veterinary science at the moment at um, University of Manchester. And I, as a lawyer, I just thought I would never have expected to work with a veterinary scientist. And she is amazing. She's an early career researcher and she's amazing. But one of the things she's interested in doing is looking at my expertise in, uh, or the the sort of experience that I had giving evidence to committees and, you know, talking to business and things like that. And then using as that like a, a way of constructing an article like you know creating knowledge or something it sounds amazing and that that really is interesting because i've often thought that there's the day job which is writing the books and you know yeah. and the articles and doing the amazing teaching for for you guys and then there's the other stuff which is the the expert with stuff and the you know the advising stuff 
But she, this, this vet I'm working with, she sees those two things as together. And I'm really interested in that. So that's a real, to me, a real career high point to think about that. Yeah. yeah so no, that's absolutely incredible, to be honest. <laughs> like, um, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Law Socks Legal Loops. Um, personally, you've been an amazing guest to have on. Um, oh. I really enjoyed your energy. Um, <laughs> and I'm actually so excited that we actually got you on to the, the podcast finally. I mean, through all the planning and everything. So thank you very much for joining us today. Well, it's been brilliant to chat to you. And thank you to all of you and your team. So hello, team. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, been, it's been great to talk to you. And I, I, I wish I... I had more opportunity to see you, see you guys. And I, I hope, I hope yeah. you're all safe. A big thank you to the Women Breaking Barriers team and Fiona Smith for joining us for this month's podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and we hope you were inspired by hearing about these people's experiences. We encourage you to check out the Women Breaking Barriers social media pages for upcoming events and check out our Legal Loops Instagram at Legal Loop Leads for upcoming podcasts. We also want to say that the Law Sock have released their new face masks. We have three designs that can be found on leadslawsockbooks.co.uk. Please also remember to keep safe and sanitized and happy holidays to you and your families. Thank you again and bye for now.